Hi, my name is Shani Jamila, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Lineage. This show is actually part of my practice as a conceptual artist. My work, which is made in response to centuries of family records meticulously researched by my genealogist grandmother, explores ancestry, identity formation, and the idea of home. On Lineage, I host intimate, in-depth conversations with fellow socially engaged Black artists about these same themes. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome as my guest, Camille A. Brown. Camille's a history-making choreographer and the artistic director of Camille A. Brown and Dancers. She's the first Black woman to serve as a director at the Metropolitan Opera with their current production of Fire Shut Up In My Bones. Shortly thereafter, she's taking the reins of the Broadway revival of one of my favorite pieces in life, Intazaki Shange's For Color Girls. With a resume like this, it's no surprise that Camille's received all the awards from institutions including the Ford Foundation, Ted Guggenheim, United States Artists, the Bessies, and Doris Duke, amongst others. But with today's episode, I'm most excited about sharing a peek into the person she is. Super generous encouraging, vulnerable, and passionate about how she can use her gifts towards her mission, which is empowering Black bodies to tell their story using their own language through movement and dialogue. We open up with a conversation about how it all began. Let's listen in. So tell me about when you first came to to dance. How old were you when you first began? Uh, I was three or four years old, my mom took me to a dance class and, or, and she also uh, introduced me to uh, musicals, which I loved. And um, I would watch videos on TV and it was, it was everything. I, I, I remember watching dance sequences over and over again and just like memorizing them and going through them and my mom just let me do my thing. So it was, it was, it was joy. And sometimes you have to work to find that joy because like you said, when you, when you're born, you have all of these infinite possibilities. Anything is possible. Yeah. And then the business aspect of it, when, when the older you get the idea of like the ideal body. And then when you have your own company, then that starts turning into sometimes the business aspect and then being on projects and dealing with presenters and producers, you know, it just turns into this whole other thing, which sometimes pulls you away uh, from the joy. So you're constantly having to do like, um, uh, like a rubber band thing. It pulls away and you have to fight to, to pull it back and pull back to get back to your joy. Are there any, like, when you think about that joy and your first introduction to those musicals that you liked when you were, when you were young, are there any that stand out in your mind is particularly influential for you? Oh, I loved Chorus Line, Insinkable Molly Brown, The Wiz, Sweet Charity. Those, those were really amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved all of them. I mean, my mom would take me to musicals Anyway, so I remember seeing Serafina and Damn Yankees. And um, she told me we went to see Hansel, Hansel and Gretel at the Met and when I was four. I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, that was, that was, I was apparently there. Um, so I have really lovely memories of, of dance. 
as a as a child and then also dancing to cartoons i would dance to the opening credits and have a very specific choreographed number for each one wait i can literally picture this so like alvin and the chipmunks or which ones were your <laughs> let's paint the picture oh my gosh the care bears care <laughs> <laughs> bears bears tiny toots ducktails oh my gosh so you were doing original choreography with specific numbers for each theme song yeah i had original choreography i i i, I just remember there was a, a kick and a, a lunge back and one of those i don't know what i was doing i love that i remember we me and my cousins used to do these dance well one cousin in particular we do these dance routines and to this day whenever i hear i feel good by james brown come on i'm automatically transported back to my grandparents basement and i still remember the choreography oh it's crazy how like that just enters into your muscle memory you yeah know? yeah i just gummy bears boom it's such a cute image. And then to know that that would become your whole career. Like, you know. <laughs> well, I didn't know what I was doing. That's the thing. It's it's like, I didn't really know what choreographing and having my own voice was. Mm-hmm. So when I went to dance school, you're doing the choreography of the teacher. And it wasn't until I got to college where I was being asked to create my own work. And I didn't know what that meant. I, I mean, we were asked to do it in high school. We were, we were definitely asked to, our senior, was it junior year? Either junior year or senior year, we were asked to start creating our projects and work together in collaboration. And I do remember having an, very, an idea and it was actually about the Orisha. And mm-hmm. um, I, I do remember having like a, asked, asked one of the musicians at Ailey to play the music and I, but I didn't, I didn't really understand what I was doing. <laughs> well, that's so interesting though. I'd love to hear more about that. Is that your religious tradition or how did you come to that? Oh, I think I just picked up this, the, a book mm-hmm. and was fascinated by the colors and the meanings. And um, I just, I was just, I was just inspired. Yeah. I feel like growing up in New York, it's it feels like more of an active possibility to be able to create a life in the arts than it might in, in some other cities or towns because it's such a lush cultural mecca. How, how did the New York City upbringing impact your, your work towards uh, what you would eventually become and create? I, I think I see New York differently from then someone who is like not from New York. Like me being from New York is just like, well, I'm just a New Yorker, that's just what it is. Like. Mm-hmm. I see, I see things how I, I see it. You know, I've, I've been taking the train since I was 13. Um, so, you know, but, but, but it is interesting because I went, to, I went to a Catholic school from first to eighth grade. And the first part of the first half of being there, it was majority white. And then by the time I got to eighth grade, it was majority black. And then going to LaGuardia High School, that was the first time that I had been around different groups, um, different identities, people who, who I identified, uh, uh, excuse me, identified in different ways. That was the first um, idea because I mean, I'm originally from Jamaica, Queens, and it is like 99.99999, probably 100% black. 
So that has been the culture that I was around. And then when I started going into the city as for high school, that's when I was, uh, was around other ideas. But still, I went to I went to LaGuardia and I went to Ailey, the Ailey School. So it was still very specific. And it wasn't until I went outside of New York, I was able to actually look in and see all of the different possibilities because just because you're inside of New York doesn't mean that you automatically have access to everything. You know, there is there is something that you can still feel or be very isolated to a point. Um, so it wasn't until I actually went outside of that and went to college that I was like, oh, there's also here, there's there, there's this company, there's that organization, there's, you know, and I started seeing it as like, it's in its fullness. Tell me about that transition down to North Carolina where you went to college. Um, what was it like moving from New York to North Carolina? Was it a bit of a culture shock or did you kind of meet, was it more seamless? Oh, it was totally a culture shock. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a very, um, you know, if there is a room of 50 people and I walk in, I'll find the nearest corner and just kind of try to disappear. You know, I'm, I'm, I really admire people who can just walk in a room and walk up to people and start having conversations with them. Um, so it was really hard to already have that kind of introverted personality, but then take that outside um, to another state. And also because I had been so used to being around different groups and different cultures in high school, it was a definite shift to go back to, oh, wow, this is majority white. And there aren't that many black people that go to the school. So it was, it was hard in terms of a difference in terms of how I was treated. You know, I've always had teachers who supported me as a dancer, but I've also had teachers that never looked at me in school. You know, I, I, I have felt seen and I have felt unseen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the issue of me having or not having the ideal body was something that I had, that I did struggle with, with a lot of teachers in high school. And that was something that I continued to struggle with in college. Not all my teachers, but there were there were teachers that did look and go, okay, well, I mean, they didn't say it, but you 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 can feel what people are thinking sometimes. And I wasn't necessarily uh, someone that they looked to as like having the ideal the ideal look. So it was definitely hard, and I wanted to transfer pretty much as soon as I got there because I'm an introverted person. And then also I'm, I'm having the same issues with my body and I just wanted to, wanted to, wanted to leave. And um, choreography was really, thanks to my mom, she helped me focus on choreography and just finding the love of creativity through that. And I was able to really realize, I was able to realize that you have power over your voice and you don't always have to wait for people to tell you when to dance and how to dance. Like you have the potential to create your own movement language. And I didn't really get that until I gave, until I went to school and had composition improv classes. I had never understood the concept. Cause like I said earlier, you go to a dance school, 
they teach you the number, you do the number, and, and you work on perfecting it the best that you can. But here, my teacher was asking me, okay, now create your language. And I was just like, what do you mean? What does that even mean? And I didn't understand the power of that until I felt like that's all I had. I think that's such a um, extraordinary phrase, create your language. Yeah, it's tough. And, and, and it's tough too, as I wanted to, as I, sorry, as I tried to pursue and continue to pursue being a choreographer, creating your own language gets even more complicated when you have influences. So, you know, I was really adamant when I did decide that I wanted to be a choreographer, I was really adamant on making sure that my influences did not overpower my voice. But I had to figure out what my voice was first to differentiate between, okay, those are your influences and this is actually your voice. So I had to, I, I gave myself assignments. Like I would sit in a room and go, okay, Camille, don't get up unless this is coming from you versus this is like a piece that you liked that, oh, this is an idea that I have come to find out, that ain't your idea. You saw that idea, you liked it. <laughs> so, so it's like, you have to, you have to differentiate what that is. And it took, it took some time because it's easy to, it's easy to, you fall in love with your influences. And that's, and that's what I did. I fell in love with them. But my love has to be my voice. And I had to figure out that, what that was. Hmm. Tell me about who some of your primary influences are. Yeah, I mean, well, I danced with Ronald K. Brown Evidence. So that was definitely a huge influence. And then I also danced with Rennie Harris. Um, and so those were two of the main influences. And then when I was, I had the um, honor of working with Diane McIntyre as a performer. And that was my first uh, experience of a creative process that I really wanted to uh, emulate. I, 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 it, it, was, it was wonderful. And it was something that I just truly loved. And it, it, I, did, I didn't want to cop, I didn't want to copy what she was doing, but just the whole idea of feeling inclusive and um, having everybody's voices contribute to being in the room. So those, the, the three of those, Ron and Diane and Rennie, I feel like were some of the key influences that I had but then it's now it's like, okay, you have your influences, but what is your voice? What do you want to say? And how do you want to say it? You know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about what that means to be able to encounter your heroes, but not just encounter, but to have real lived professional experiences with them. Oh yeah. I mean, I didn't know what company I wanted to be in because everybody, all my friends, like, I want to be in this company, that company, you know, and I didn't really know. And part of it was that I was afraid to say, but here we go with my voice. I was afraid to put out in the atmosphere what I wanted. So, you know, I had been, if, if you're constantly told that you don't have the ideal body by some teachers, then 
and you go to the early schools and you're not going to be as inclined to be like, well, I want to be in the early company. You know, I was, I was, I was afraid to, to say that. And I didn't, and I didn't know if that's something that I even wanted. And it wasn't until I saw Ron's uh, grace on the early company that I thought, oh my gosh, that movement just feels like it looks like heaven and it must be heaven to do. And I don't know who choreographed this, but I just want to be, I just want to be around them. And so to have that opportunity to see and feel inspired and feel a connection as an observer, but then to embody the connection as a dancer was a gift and it, and it, it is still, it still is a tremendous gift. And so every time I have those experiences to work with people that I'm truly blown away by, you can take you can take, you don't want to, you don't want to take that who that person is, but, and that was also one of my fears about choreographing is that I had seen as a company member, I had seen how moved people were by Ron's movement. And as a choreographer, I didn't think that I had the potential to make people feel anything about my movement. Um, and that was, that was, that was, uh, scary. It's like, wow, he has, he has such a powerful voice and you see, you feel it in your body, how powerful it is. And you can also see the responses that his movement gets to people. I don't know if I could do that. You know, I don't, I don't know if what I would say would be considered powerful. That, that was scary. And part of me didn't want to have a company because of that, because I didn't think I had I didn't think I had what it took to create a feeling in people from a move that I made or a move that I asked the dancer to make. Tell me about overcoming that. Wow. Well, I feel like sometimes I'm still overcoming that. <laughs> um, but it's with community and people who believe in you and then also you telling yourself to get out of your own way. Um, that those are those are the two things, the main things. Because I just I felt like there was a need because I started teaching and choreographing on other companies, and there was something about it that I just didn't connect with there wasn't enough time I felt like people didn't really get who I was I was still trying to find who I was and I I told myself I said I need a safer space I need a space with dancers where I can really figure this out and figure out who I am and what my voice is and working on working with different companies with a very short amount of time is not how I'm going to get to that place and it was then that I realized, oh, that's why people have their companies. Not, not the only reason, everybody has their different reasons for having companies, but you know, it's for you to have your time and to create what your culture is in your space. And I was really interested in figuring out what that was to me. What is the kind of movement that I wanna create? What is the kind of creative space? What is the type of um, culture in the room 
as a leader do I want do I want to create so um I asked dancers that I knew my friends uh to come into a space and thankfully they were so generous and you know I was paying them through metro cards at one point and we were rehearsing in parks um they really came through and I think it's always important for us to say thank you to the people that got us where we are, wherever that is, because if it were not for them, then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to figure out who I was in an artist. And, and I'm just so thankful. I'm just, I'm just so thankful to those, those, those people from that were there from the beginning. You know, what um, is really striking me about this is that that impulse to create a safe space is something that expands beyond what you do as a choreographer, but then also into the mentorship programs that you've created and into the gathering. Tell me about the, the gathering. The gathering, which you, I was so honored to have you facilitate one of our years is really a space for Black women to come together and uh, you know, it came from it came from a feeling of running into various black women who I knew that were also choreographers, and us having conversations about our struggles, our triumphs, um, our issues with the dance world. And I thought, wow, why don't we all come together and have a space and really listen to each other, and and heal and grow and feel empowered because. I felt as a black woman being in this space, being in these white spaces, being in spaces where it was, it, they are male dominated. And now in theater that it's, it's white male dominated specifically, um, you know, I, I felt this need to have sisterhood enforced and excuse me, reinforced because it was always there, but um, I felt a greater need for that. And as time went on with, with wonderful partnerships that we've had with organizations in the dance world, we've also been able to provide um, support or resources in terms of fundraising and how people, like how do you actually make things happen? You know, instead of, instead of not having a, um, a network, that you can reach out to and go, I want to have a company, but I don't know who to turn to in order to ask those questions, creating a network where people can reach out and go, oh, I have a couple of questions. Can I, can I run this by you? And a lot of, a lot of the gathering, the mentorship, um, it comes from, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that being a choreographer was possible. I had to do, I had to do my own digging in terms of, you know, Jalalay Willard-Josolar, who I love and admire and, and is so brilliant at what she does. Um, you know, I didn't have the exposure to her like I did some of the other male choreographers. Like when I was a, when I was a student, most, if not all of the people that we were told the students to go to this company, audition for that, work with this choreographer, they were all men. And so it didn't, it didn't, 
I didn't realize that until I started becoming a choreographer. And I was like, wait, I need to reach out to the women that look like me, that have paved, that, that have paved the way for me and other people. And I need to do the work of, of reaching out, but also lifting them up. So a lot of this comes from not wanting a younger generation to have to do the work that I did because it's already there. You don't have to work to find a reflection of yourself because you know it exists. And that's the world that I want to, that's the world that I'm trying to create or, or helping contributing to, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember I came to that space. Um, Paloma McGregor with Dancing While Black was the person yeah. who uh, uh, told me about the invitation that you'd so generously extended to us to help um, facilitate that time. But I remember walking into the space and you can feel like tangibly feel the energy, uh, the sisterhood, the collective in that room. Um, and so it was, it was uh, one of those things where you could feel the fact that there was such a need for it and that there's been a real community created around it. And I think as I look at your, your practice, it seems to me that that's one of the, the characterizing sort of pillars of what it is that you do. Um, because I think about the gathering, I look at what you've been doing um, with the Social Dance for Social Change School which I'd love to hear you talk about a little bit, maybe right now, actually. Um. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Social Dance for Social Change is, it came from, if I can pinpoint exactly where it came from, it, it probably came from Black Girl Linguistic Play, mm -hmm. uh, which, I, which I started creating in 2014. We premiered it in 2015. And a lot of it is about um, hand clap games, but it's also Juba, which is a, a African-American social dance and just, Put, tapping into uh, rhythms and cultures of the African diaspora. And as a choreographer, when you create, you don't know once you sew things, if it's going to be the first time or you're going to have a tour, excuse me, of it for years and years. I didn't know which way it was going, but I knew that the information, the social dances, the things that we were tapping into were really important. So I wanted to create an initiative that would be able to live on should Black Girl Linguistic Play not. Right. And thankfully, Black Girl BGLP did, so they were able to work in tandem with each other, but Social Dance for Social Change was really birthed out of that. And, and I'm, I always look at speaking to the social aspect of dance and the, the way that from a structure and individual creativity movement, a, a collective of movement can form and it can shift and progress and, and it can tell you a time period. It can tell you the social climate. And, um, but, it's about, but it's about the individual and the, how that person and their creative identity and, invo and in evoking that. And what does that mean when we all tap into our own movement language and we share that movement language with someone else? That to me inspires change. You know, we want to, my, my, my voice, you know, I guess that even though that's not necessarily dance, but, you know, I had to, I had to fight past my fear in order to connect with other people. And so it's about working through 
our gesture information and having the um, and feeling liberated enough to 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 share that with other people. And what does that do to a space? How do you transform if we're talking about like a, a white space? and you're doing something that is, uh, you're doing a project or a show that is specifically of like the black experience, how do you shift that space? It's the collective energy that's happening on stage. It's the mind, it's the body, it's everything working. That is the social dance for social change to me. You um, have written that your passion is to empower black bodies to tell their stories using their own language through movement and dialogue, which is such a well evocative uh, idea. And I want to I want to hear you just kind of expound on that. As I've been thinking, as I'm thinking back on this conversation that we've just been having, I keep hearing um, these ideas of voice, of body, of mission, of movement. Those are the things that seem to be like the characterizing components of what it is that you do, but, but can you just expound on this idea? What, is it, what does it mean to you to have that be your driving passion? Tell, tell stories the best way that you know how being honest, being honest and being authentically you and not allowing others to validate what you do and who you are before you validate it for yourself. And sometimes we as artists don't get an opportunity to do that. Sometimes we as Black people don't get an opportunity to do that. Sometimes, most times, we are showing our work and the people who are translating it for broader audiences are not of our lens. So there is sometimes a reduction in what we're doing because they don't understand uh, or dismiss. And it is having, having the courage to continue our work. And like I said, validating it for ourselves before we allow others to validate it for ourselves. And I'm constantly having to do that. You know, it's not something that, oh, yes, I've mastered, I've achieved that. Uh, I think every project I go through this whole thing of like, okay, Camille, this has to come from you. This has to be honest from you. And everybody is not going to like it. And that's gonna, then that is okay. But do you like it? Do your collaborators like it? Do your dancers get it? That's what matters. And if you get everybody in the room that you've gathered to create this space on one page, then you are doing your job. And I think that's what, you know, empowering Black bodies to tell their stories. It's like, do you? Since I've since I've written that, I think that we have seen a change too, though, where people... I don't know sometimes because everyone is demanding. Where is this? Where is this? Why is this not here? Where's the story? Why aren't you talking about this? Mm -hmm. And part of me feels, well, are we actually gonna let people tell their stories without putting our own perceptions or what we think they should be talking about in it? And I think that's always been there but it feels like even more now 
So that, that to me is a little scary. Why do you think now? What's the difference? I don't know. I think it's a sense of people wanting to be heard, which is amazing. And actually people being heard, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I just, I just hope that as we all fight and continue to work to be heard, that we actually listen to each other. I wonder how is your pivoting to move forward from, as we're all pivoting to move forward from this time of quarantine, which I feel like impacted the performing arts sector in a uniquely um, dramatic way. How do you feel like the lessons of this year are going to influence what you have coming up? I'm looking at some of the, the performances that you have on deck, which are extraordinary and doing for Color Girls um, on Broadway. Yes. The sacred text. Um, I, I, uh, I keep it with me literally and, and just in my, in my marrow, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can't, I'm so excited to see what you're going to do with it. But when I look at the, these, these productions from For Color Girls to, to Charles Blow, Charles Blow's, um, Fire Shut Up In My Bones, you're already working with these, um, deeply black, really beautifully constructed narratives but how does the experience of this year, um, if this is a, you know, this may not be something that you have like an easy pat answer for, it may be the experience of going through it, but what do you think about how the experiences of this year is going to influence the work that you have coming forward in the future? I have an answer. All right, let's go. I have an answer. So before uh, COVID happened, I felt like I was in a space, you know how you you're in a space where you feel like, okay, I took a lot on, but I feel like I'm able to get through it. And then you're in a space where you go, okay, I took a lot on and I feel like after a while, this is gonna start affecting my work. And I felt like it was the latter where I took on a lot. And normally I'm, I'm used to doing multiple projects at the same time, but something about looking ahead and seeing the projects that were coming forward, um, the stakes seemed that they were getting higher uh, in terms of like directing and choreographing for Color Girls and now uh, uh, being co-director with the, with the Met for, the, for Charles Blow's story and directing and choreographing Ate Misbehaving. Um, I, I, was, I was nervous and I felt like I was not ready to take on all of that because all three of those things were supposed to happen in one year. Mm. Back back to back and we all know as artists where you even though the rehearsal date starts at a specific point you have been working on it for a certain amount of time so everything I just saw was going to implode on itself and I said I don't I, I don't I don't think I can do this and it felt like everything was moving and I was not able to stop it and but COVID happened and shut down everything. Wow. And it gave me an opportunity to go to go into each of those projects and figure out what is your vision? Because I was I was the choreographer for the the off-Broadway version and now I'm the director choreographer for the for the Broadway version. 
And so that's a that's a totally different headspace that I had to put myself in. So this time gave me an opportunity to figure out what does what does that vision look like for me, which which was amazing. And also, what does it feel? What does this transition of being choreographer to director choreographer? What does that feel like? Because I I everything was coming so fast that it would have just happened. And there would have been no process. And so now I feel like I'm living, I am living a process. And, it, and it's so important to do that because like you said, it is sacred text. And these are stories that we should care for. And they, they call for a process and the thing about for colored girls is that it's been done so many times. And I want to figure out and wanted to figure out what am I saying with this? How am I contributing to the many visions that people have had over this time? over 40 years what am i what am i saying and what am i saying today about it and how am i lifting up Ndjake's legacy in my way what does that look like and to actually th- sit and think about it i mean i know it probably sounds like well okay yeah you're thinking about it but when things are happening and you have project at the project and and it's just coming at you um it's it's different I get that 100%. It's a period of deep introspection that was one of the biggest silver linings at this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your answer? What is it that you're bringing to For Color Girls specifically that's that's different? Well, I think what what Ndjake, her vision of bringing Black women together in order to share personal stories is is that is the show she's 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 given us the gift of of that vision. And to me, what I want to do is really uh, look at the choreo, the idea of the choreo poem, and going back to what your question was about language and movement, and really seeing how, and and that's the beautiful thing about what she created was that it's not a musical, it's not a play, it's not a situation where the dance is is supporting the music, the the um, the text is like the dance is the text. And we and the dance is moving along and driving, driving. And I also want it to be about legacy as well, honoring this forty years of a, of of an important and brilliant voice and bringing that back. And what and what does that mean? This is only the third time, if I'm if I'm correct, that it's a show of all black women on a stage on Broadway. And the first one I believe was when For Color Girls was on Broadway the first time. Wow, really? I think so. What's so what- second, just out of curiosity. What'd you say? What was the second one? Eclipsed, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so what does that what does that look like? And what are we saying? And you know, I also want to talk about what time travel means in 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 it because she's talking about different periods of her life from different times, but also other women that she's seen in her life. So what does that, what does that mean? And I'm also 
really bringing in the idea of what black girl linguistic play meant to me. Uh, and Dejake uh, contacted me a couple of years before she passed and said she was interested in, in interviewing me about black girl linguistic play. What? And I what? This is crazy. I need to be interviewing you. Oh my God, amazing. So, um, and she she never got it. She saw Ink, which was the next piece that I did, but she never was able to see Black Girl. And she asked me to send her the video and I never was able to get her the video before she passed away. And that's like my biggest regret. Mm-hmm. But looking at, looking at both of those pieces, you know, when it came to the off-Broadway production, and once uh, she passed, I really wanted to honor her. And I used a lot of the information and the gestures that uh, were used in Black Girl and interlaced them inside of the work. And I want to delve into that even more and look at how Black Girl and how For Color Girls are speaking together. Um, looking at her boldness to create something for black girls and to say, this is for, for color girls, like the, the, no way around it. Right. And, but, and that was the same reason why I named black girl, black girl, because I wanted everybody to know who this was for. And so, you know, as a choreographer, how am I entering the space? And so I'm excited to, normally I'm bringing Normally, I'm bringing what I've learned in theater to concert dance. And this is an opportunity for me to bring concert dance into my theater. So that I'm very excited. I'm, I can't wait. I mean, what a gift it is to know that she knew you and respected your work. And now you get the opportunity to show your respect for her work yeah. and, and continue on that lineage and that legacy. That's, that's extraordinary, really. Thank you. I'm I'm very terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say that about everything, but uh, this is this is it means it means a lot for so so for so many reasons, and. Um, It's just, it's just, it means a lot. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, a lot of the, the guiding impetus for this project is about the idea of, of home, what it means for us as Black folks and as artists and um, as people who are rooted to go back to what we were originally talking about and this idea of imagination to be creating futures in this time. Um, and so I wonder what does what does home mean to you? What comes up for you when I ask you about the the idea of home? Um, my mom and how much of a support system she is for me, and she just connecting it back to for color girl. She would always tell me, "Don't ever let anybody take your stuff away," and she told me that since I can remember. Mm. And, it wasn't until she saw the performance uh, two years ago now that she said, um, you know, that's where I got that from for color girls. And I said, oh my gosh, I didn't know that full circle. 
Somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff. Yeah. So she said, don't ever let anybody take your stuff away. Yes, ma'am. She always reminds me of that. And sometimes it's you. Don't, don't, sometimes you're the person. So don't let you take your stuff away from you. Now that is a whole word. (laughs) So she reminds me of that too. And so that's what I think of as, as home. It's, it's home and it's home base. She is home. Earlier when we were talking about your influences, uh, uh, I wanted to ask a question about sort of historic figures. Are, is there anybody, any ancestors who you look at as sort of guiding lights for you in your, in your practice? Well, as a dancer, I think about Ella Fitzgerald Hmm. because of her clarity and her range. And she also, as she got older, reminded me of my grandmother. How so? They look alike. Oh. They look alike. So I try to tap into what that energy, her, her energy, even though I've never met her, but her voice. I, I, I am um, inspired by singers and actors. Yeah. You'd alluded a few times to the idea of, of how bodies are, are valued in dance, but I'd like for you to tell me what is the sort of aspirational body that you were um, being sort of force fed earlier? And then how does, how do you address that in the safe spaces that you're creating inside of your own company? Uh, Yeah, it was more of like uh, working within the ballet aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So um, it's about the conditioning of your body, but for what you want to do. If you want to be a wrestler, then there's a certain amount of conditioning that you have to do to get that. If you want to be a swimmer, that is the conditioning, but it's healthy conditioning. And that's what I try to encourage. It's about the work. And that's what I loved about work, working with the people that I did, the, the people that were, were influences to me was that it wasn't about your body type. It was about the intention behind what your body was doing. So that's what I try to think about. This is actually a question I don't know how to phrase. It's just, it's what's bubbling up for me as you're talking in terms of the intention of what your body is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just thinking about what it's meant for us, dancers, non-dancers, just black people in these streets having the, um, the capacity to feel safe walking in our own bodies, moving in our own bodies, in our own home. And I wonder, coming from your, your grounding as a dancer and as a movement artist and as a choreographer, if, if this idea of moving through the world in a black body being so endangered now hits you any differently. I'm just wondering what does it mean to be somebody so rooted in movement and to have the very idea of movement compromised and, 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 and literally endangering our lives in, in, these, in this era that we're living through? Well, I feel like we've always been in danger Sadly, this is nothing new. There were a lot of names before 
George Floyd, sadly. It is exhausting carrying that. I don't know if I'm answering the question, but I think in different aspects, we've been in danger to, we've been in danger and have felt unsafe. You know, in terms of safe space, it's like, what do you, what kind of safe space do you create for yourself? And I think of the sisterhood of the gathering, or I think of the women that have come before me and the women that are standing next to me and the young girls that are coming after me. You know, it's like you have to carry your community with you at all times, even though physically they might not be able to be in the room with you. They have to be in your heart at all times. And that is the safe space. That is the knowing. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover the show. You can follow us on Instagram at Lineage Podcast and visit lineagepodcast.com for more information about this project and to watch my new meditative film, We Hold These Truths. It features reflections on ancestry from season two lineage guests and was produced with the Park Avenue Armory. The Lineage logo was designed by Tony Moore Images and the show's theme music is composed by Cody Gottbeats. For more from me, head on over to shawneejamila.com and stay tuned right here. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. Thank you.